0: Hello and welcome to Sound of Play 47. by Mononoki from the forum who says another of my favorite video games and video game soundtrack combination they really go hand in hand shadow of the colossus half of the reason this game really works is the music which elevates the already spectacular and singular boss battles that make up the core of the game into an even greater heights pun completely intended my chosen track is revived power by koatani definitely my favorite track of the pumping type of battle music in the game It's used in the encounters, if I remember correctly, and always set my heart to stirring with exhilaration and excitement as I'm scaling up these mighty, majestic foes as a merciless wander. It captures the grandeur and, yes, epic nature of the fights with its orchestral clout without being too bombastic either, in a way only Shadow of the Colossus soundtrack can. Yes, as you've heard, that was Revived Power by Koatani from Shadow of the Colossus back in 2005, which uh, many of us played on the... PS2 although if you missed it back there there was an excellent Shadow of the Colossus and uh, Ico collection on the PS3 definitely worth checking out if you have not already uh, we have talked about both of those games on the podcast before don't have the issue numbers right here in front of me, but no. uh, if you are curious as to our opinions on that, then do check out the Kane and Rince episodes of Shadow of the Colossus and Ico.
1: Oh, Leon, what about the numbers already, already mate? I know. <laughs> you are not Leon Cox.
0: <laughs> Sorry, substitute teacher day. <laughs> and uh, Leon always lets us eat candy during the recording. <laughs> <laughs> he does, yeah, he loves it. Anyways, I am, uh, I'm Ryan Heyman, sitting here with Darren Gargett Hello. for Sound of Play 47. Yes,
1: nearly at 50.
0: There. That's right. This is our uh, our Hitman special. <sighs> Unfortunately, we didn't bring any Hitman music to it. It just kind of dawned on me that this probably would have been the time. <laughs> oh, well.
1: Does Hitman have music, or is it just a series of like strangling noises and bird noises and I don't know, just general ambiance?
0: I think there's a certain musicality to that, depending on what you're into.
1: I guess if you're being shot, there's like a little bit of a kind of like adrenaline music, kind of like action music. But yeah, I don't know. The, the games always seem really like serene to mm. me, you know, in in a, in a weird, like, passive aggressive way
0: have you been playing the new one at all
1: no i'm i'm rubbish at it i'm Mm. really bad um i fell asleep watching my friend james (laughs) play it the other night um he was doing he was doing a mission i don't know and he was Mm. dressing up as a soldier and he was having a bit of trouble getting out of this particular scenario and uh yeah i fell asleep to him just quick saving and quick loading and just (laughs) getting very stressed Uh, those games test my patience Mm. um probably a bit too much and i yeah i can't play them at all because i'm just like well how do i do this thing i'll just throw coins everywhere and see what happens and then i die
0: (laughs) there's a fair amount of music in the new one at least it it really ramps up as you uh kind of intelligently as you get closer to your targets and as you get closer to the exit after you've assassinated Mm. your targets and so it really uh um i I don't know a very kind of intelligently morphs its music depending on how intense the specific scenario is
1: I was going to say it kind of feels like it's it suits the the moment, so therefore you don't notice it's music. Mm-hmm. It's kind of there to boost the whole atmosphere of the game, so you don't really see it as a music track. It's just part of the experience. Yeah,
0: yeah, it definitely plays nicely with the story taking place on screen.
1: Uh, but it is a well-made game. Like mm-hmm. I've I've tried to play it, and I've watched Giant Bomb play it. I've watched my friends play it, and as much as I like and appreciate how good that game is, like Hit- Hitman, Hitmen, Hitman fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hitman fans must have must be so overjoyed that they've got a great Hitman game again. And I really want to like it, but I'm just really bad at it. <laughs> much like I was with uh, Shadow of the Colossus when I played that back in 2005.
0: Yeah, let's move back to that track. Uh, is this one mm. of your favorites off the soundtrack?
1: I haven't played Shadow of the Colossus since 2005 okay. for, for a reason, which came back to me just now while listening to that track mm-hmm. before we recorded it. Um, there's a boss where you end up... Well, obviously there's a boss. The whole game is bosses, pretty much. But I was really like intrigued by the setting, and you know the the initial kind of encounters got me hooked, <laughs> gripped, and um, yeah, you know, um, you know, I was fighting the first two bosses, and I made my way into this, like this underground section, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what was going on. I think a horse colossus like pokes its head and like into the doorways, mm-hmm. like yeah, either yeah. side of you, like this for, and I couldn't for the life of me work out what to do. Um, and I got really like kind of frustrated at it. And I never went back and tried it again. Mm. Um, mainly because I was, you know, as, as most of my stories are, I'm, I'm in a video game shop with about a thousand games around me at any one time. So yeah. it's easy just to go, let's put a different game in now. And I think it was God of War. So yeah, I kind of <laughs> never went back to it because I was just hooked onto uh, Kratos' anger.
0: Yeah, I, I remember uh, I replayed at least the first half of Shadow of the Colossus probably towards the beginning of this year just for fun and yeah that that same Colossus gave me a little bit of trouble before I figured it out but uh, hmm. yeah eventually worked it out I'd, I'd recommend going back to it it still definitely holds yeah. up
1: I might do before Last Guardian I don't know whether I okay. can or not because in, in a couple of weeks time I will be uh, nurturing a baby human that's with right my surname so we'll see what happens about that but yeah I'm you know I've been meaning to go back to it for ages but I've always lent on the side of... I preferred Eco, Iko. Uh-huh. I don't know how you pronounce it. I guess it's Eco. Yeah, probably. But yeah. Japanese pronunciation. I've always preferred all. that game. Mm, yeah. Um, but even that game had its weird little quirks. Um, there's and There's a moment in there where you have to climb up and down a chain. And never once did the game teach you mm. about climbing up and down chains. And I remember getting really frustrated. Like, what do I do? I was just, <laughs> and then I read the instruction book, which you probably wouldn't get nowadays. Mm. But yeah, I read the instruction book. He says, yeah, just hold R1 and climb up and down the chain. I was like, no. Oh, silly Darren.
0: <laughs> Yeah, uh, this revived power, this particular track always reminded me of uh, of like a Studio Ghibli type soundtrack, like mm. very strongly, like ever since the first time I heard it, it always reminded me of, it's kind of funny being requested by Mononoke from the forum, uh, that, that <laughs> connection there. That particular track was, uh, it, it's definitely, I think, one of the more popular and recognizable tracks off the soundtrack and kind of a fan favorite. And back when uh, Sound of Play used to have a theme song, back in the first, you know, what, 20 issues or something, uh, that was one of the tracks that uh, I decided to mix into that theme song. So, oh, yeah. of course, it's, it's, it's been a part of the Sound of Play legacy for a long time now, but this is the first time that we've played the entire track. So there it is. It is Revived Power from Shadow of the Colossus. Excellent request. Anyways, you've heard us talking a little bit already. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. We are going to jump right into my next... Sorry, truck going by.
1: I thought you were like having like the orchestra in your house play it. It, kind of, it sounded like very like eruptive. It's kind of like someone playing the drums, like rustling up a little drum solo it's uh it's quite it's quite atmospheric it's just a truck uh, i'm not so, going to mind.
0: let sony outdo me you know with their big presentation <laughs> this year uh, as long as i can see
1: uh josh and his mates pick pick their nose live on a stream <laughs> that's that'd, uh, right that'd be good
0: yeah, they, they did such a good job of uh of wooing mr garrity we got to get him back to our show so <laughs> really step up our production
1: he seems really nonplussed by it as well <laughs> like he's like oh yeah they saw me on the live stream oh he probably wasn't looking his best he's really tired probably because he's jet lagged and then the cameras just zoomed straight on their faces the three bearded weirdos just looking gormless <laughs>
0: that's you know i was watching the show and i didn't see them <laughs> oh well oh uh,
1: yeah yeah i noticed them straight away yeah so. that's
0: pretty cool mm. anyways um we're gonna go into a couple of my tracks have a strange theme of having an m&m connection um I used to be, I guess I still am, like I still appreciate listening to Eminem music, but I used to be like a tremendous Eminem fan back in, you know, the old days, uh, back in the, like, you know, Marshall Mathers LP and Eminem show days before Encore. Um, but yeah, I, I, I loved, you know, his music, his style of performance and his kind of eclectic sampling techniques, which is something that's been a a wonderful tradition in, um rap music particularly for a long time now uh kind of sampling as a way of contextualizing your song uh, maybe drafting some kind of underlying thematic elements that you wanted to kind of graft in from the original song and uh it's a way of kind of telling a second story kind of on top of the song that you've already written and so i've always been really interested as to like what songs are these rappers or their producers sampling and what is that sample trying to evoke? And uh, one sample that always stood out to me was was the sample from a song called "Hellbound" or "Hellbound H and H Remix," uh, which Eminem performed with a few other performers. And um, very notably, he sampled from the Soul Calibur soundtrack, which is a little bit of a weird choice. But um, <laughs> but they they took not only the music but also a few voice samples, some of the you know, Maxi was seriously wounded, but the soul still burned, like that kind of thing. And mm. um, did this pretty incredible rap on top of it. Like it's a wonderful song. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, we won't play that here because that doesn't necessarily fall into our purview as to what we do. But uh, check it out for some context and then come back to us here. Um, but this is the song that they sampled. Uh, it's a very short song. I think it's just played during Maxi's ending. He's the kind of Elvis lookalike. <laughs> Um, at least it wasn't Soul Calibur 2 that was when I hopped on to the series but um, this is called Sacrifice by Junichi Nakatsuru Yohihito Yano Akitaka Toyama Takanori Otsuka and Hideki Tobeda <laughs> made my way through that uh, and this is from the original Soul Calibur originally released on the arcade and Dreamcast back in 1998 and yeah it's a short track it's 43 seconds but I think it's a lovely track in its own right and um, definitely kind of reminiscent for those of us who grew up with that uh, with that particular Eminem song. So I don't know for some reason when I heard this, it's just been kind of batting around in my mind a little bit bit, and I decided to share it because it's a uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool little little mm. short tune. So this is Sacrifice from Soul Calibur. <laughs> Yeah, uh, like I said, very short. <laughs> uh anyways, Darren, you want to take us on to your first pick of the day.
1: Hm, mm, yeah, this is um from a game called Terraria, which is uh, developed by ReLogic and published by 505 Games. It's on like every platform now, I think. Uh, it's just recently come onto the Nintendo platforms. Um you know to to uh, you know good reviews, but you know, I um, I think the PC version is the best and the console versions are are, uh, you know, justified They're They're serviceable, they're good. Um but I played this when it was in early access kind of beta thing
0: was this an extended early access kind of like minecraft like when did it put out it's like 1.0 um, release
1: I, I can't really remember to be honest with you because i played this like when it first came out okay and i kind of put all my time into it then and i hadn't really played it you know in a, it's a kind of a, i put 50 hours in which is kind of a drop in the ocean when you compare it to <laughs> the hundreds of hours that people do put into these mm-hmm. games but there was one track that the game was quite hard back then um i don't know if it is now because i haven't really played it recently but the game was really like punishing and mm. it, it didn't really you didn't have the kind of the mod cons of the modern terraria where you had lifts and you know escalators and all these kind of quality of life things you could build because it was quite basic back then it was kind of like if you want to get out of this tunnel you've dug mate you need to jump your way out or if you were lucky enough find these jump boots and stuff like that and it's kind of the reason why i like terraria more than minecraft and i know it's too easy to put one versus the other and go oh this is like yeah. this or that is better than that but I I do I do prefer the focused nature and kind of the the Mario-esque gameplay of Terraria over Minecraft for you know for obvious reasons cuz I do like my Mario. So when I got double jump in Terraria stuff I was like you know this game it kind of appeals more to me but when I was struggling to beat the big bosses cuz the game has some great moments of uh, fighting these giant bosses there was always this one track that came back and it kind of it's kind of like a comfort track cuz you know that it's the daytime and you're on the surface, because the music does kind of chop and change, kind of similar to you know Banjo-Kazooie, where it kind of morphs into different tracks seamlessly. If you go underground, it goes all kind of like eerie and kind of... A, in every single one of the tracks, there's kind of like a little weird technology vibe to mm. it, which kind of hints to where you're headed in the progression, which I always thought was quite neat. But this track kind of reminds me of when you first enter Hyrule Field in a Zelda game, and you get that kind of... Diddle-it, diddle-it, diddle-it. Like that's got its own version of that <laughs> uh-huh. and there's something that just like even now talking about it gets my little goosebumps going because it's like i'm safe now mm. let's make some stuff and try not to die next time and throughout the 50 hours of me playing this this is kind of the most heard tune so now when i hear this the all the memories kick off and all the you know the nostalgia feelings run through my body and it's like oh this track it's so nice but the, the whole soundtrack's really good um it's by Scott Lloyd Shelley, I didn't say. But, uh, yeah, he's he's done a really good... uh, I've only heard Volume 1. There's three volumes or maybe more uh, because the game has expanded since then. But I've only heard Volume 1 because I was there early days and I hadn't gone back. But, so, you know, if the other volumes are as good as Volume 1, then, you know, there's a bunch of music you can get from his uh, Bandcamp website. And, uh, yeah, it's just really relaxing.
0: Very good. So this is Overworld Day by Scott Lloyd Shelley from Terraria. I've not played, well, I guess I've played a little tiny, tiny bit of Terraria myself. It was always a little, uh, I guess a little slow to ever kind of hook me in the first place. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. from what I've seen, there's a tremendous amount of content in there. And it seems to be aiming for very different goals than Minecraft. And so I don't necessarily mm-hmm. think that they are like competitors on the exact same field, which a lot of people will kind of put them against each other no
1: they're the kind of sorry they're kind oh. of
0: alternates like yeah, if you didn't yeah. want
1: to play one you'd play the other one and uh yeah i imagine that in my head they're holding hands and being friends
0: yeah tererra is more kind of action focused and mm-hmm. you know beating big bosses and stuff and minecraft's a little bit more kind of like slow and uh uh, uh creation focused but yeah interesting games and both continue to evolve and so maybe Mm. in the um evolution of both of them some of their scope will begin to overlap more and more so it's it's hard to say even now years after its um this initial explosion what minecraft even is
1: (laughs) well i think minecraft had an influence on the the latest zelda breath of the wild like you can clearly see stuff in that game that i never would have thought that nintendo would have like we've removed their kind of their stubborn walls around them and go, what other mm-hmm. games exist? Because usually they they seem to make games because they make the games. Mm-hmm. And now they've, it seems like they've actually opened the door and gone, oh, that Minecraft's quite popular. Let's what, what do they do? And then they've looked at that and gone, yeah, we could put that in Zelda. That looks good. So it's good to see that you know, um, you know, Terraria and Minecraft and those kind of survival s games are having an influence on uh, you know, on, on franchises franchises such as Zelda, because uh, I imagine if they ever mentioned that in like an interview, oh, what inspired Breath of the Wild to do a thing and not heard that they're inspired by Minecraft, like that must be like something, something else. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Uh, so I'm going to move on to another, this is an N64 song from Donkey Kong 64, maybe not one of the more beloved rare games, but uh, one that I enjoyed, you know, for all of the kind of, negative attention that it's gotten as the, uh, years have gone by people kind of remember it as being a little bit of a -a collectathon and not much else to it. Um, yeah, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Like I enjoy the collecting aspect of it. And I thought that, you know, for what it's worth, it was a, uh, a good continuation of the Donkey Kong Country series, you know, playing that back-to-back with the other Donkey Kong Country games. Mm. Like, there really is kind of a shared, I guess, genealogy there. Like, it, it feels like it's all a part of the same family. Yeah. Uh, this particular song isn't one of the better-known songs, and actually, like, the song itself doesn't have a lot to it, but I like that. It's very simple, very stripped down, um, very kind of slow, but I think it, it does a good job of demonstrating what uh what the composer Grant Kirkhope um really does best, which is um, you know, he creates a like a strong leading melody and always has like really interesting counter melodies and uh drone notes and stuff underneath. And uh I always love just like listening to all of his music and really kind of focusing on like one instrument at a time and then just kind of like hearing once I'm anchored into that one instrument, like what all the other instruments are doing. Um, Which is, you know, there's a lot of like really smart stuff that he works into the layers of his music that are um, there to be noticed whenever somebody is uh, just really listening closely. And I think in this song in particular, it's easier than a lot of his other songs because the instruments are relatively minimal. Since it's kind of an indoors scene in the middle of the night, um, this is called Fungi Forest Giant Mushroom. It takes place within a giant mushroom in the Fungi Forest level. It's, it's a little bit kind of, you know, slow, a little creepy. It has a lower plucked string sound, kind of like a, like a pizzicato cello, and a higher plucked sound, like, a, uh, like maybe a violin or something. The The higher one plays the lead melody and the lower one plays kind of like a counter melody. And then about halfway through the song, they switch places and they each play the other one's melody, which is kind of an interesting choice. And um, and it, it definitely feels different. And so the song definitely has a progression through it and um, kind of a narrative through line, so to speak, which is uh, something that, you know, Kirkhope is very good at. Um, the one note that I wanted to add to it is that Uh, On the uh, Gilva Center YouTube page, which is a uh, a particular YouTube individual who uploads a lot of high-quality video game music and usually does a pretty good job at attributing each track to the um, correct personnel, so it's a good resource for that, also attributes this song to Eveline Fisher, who is one of the Donkey Kong 64 team and actually the lead composer for Donkey Kong Country 3. Uh, this song definitely has a Kirkhope feel to it, and so I'm not sure how much contribution Fisher had into this. But um, yeah, you know, I, I I just didn't want to leave her name off just in case it was uh, uh, just in case it was one of hers. Um, but yeah, it definitely has that Grant Kirkhope feel to it, and you know, perhaps even more appropriately here than any other level because this level, Fungi Forest. I believe was... Uh, was this the one that was originally supposed to be a Banjo-Kazooie level?
1: Mm, yeah, it was called Fungus Forest. Yeah,
0: yeah. And um, mm. it, it plays with... Uh, I believe this one is kind of like a day-night type thing, kind of like Click Lock Woods, where you'd get mm-hmm. a very different... Um, or different opportunities open to you based on whether you approach it during the day or during the night. Uh, so this is uh, Fungi Forest Giant Mushroom by Grant Kirkhope from Donkey Kong 64. And as I mentioned, uh, this song and my previous song both had a bit of an Eminem connection. And uh, this one is <laughs> is just very illusory, like it's um, entirely in my head. But I just wanted to point out, uh, just to listen for it while you're listening to this song, the song, the lead instrument part always reminds me of the chord progression in the Real Slim Shady. And so just listen for that. And uh, if it bugs you, then I apologize. But... Every single time I've heard it, I'm like, yeah, it's a real slim shady playing in there, isn't it? <laughs> Anyways, fungi forest, giant mushroom. Darren you would have come to Rare after Donkey Kong 64 professionally um, was mm. released right Mhm
1: yeah maybe 2 years after 2 years prior okay. it's really weird cuz Don- the gap between Donkey Kong 64 and Grabbed by the Ghoulies mm-hmm. feels like an eternity in my head like <laughs> in memory space uh-huh. but like now 2 years is like nothing yeah, to me yeah. it's um uh, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm really str- not struggling I'm really understanding time as a 30 plus year old in the last three years I just don't know what's happened and it's like I'm 33 now what when how why I don't know what's going on And uh but yeah so two years after DK64 you know bam yeah it's a, it's a weird one that um, I, was, I was pondering that the other day after seeing the new Sea of Thieves trailer I was thinking mm. yeah what a weird what a weird life I've led <laughs> <laughs> like it's just just meandering all over the <laughs> place I've never really committed to anything and it's just like Ah, I don't, I don't regret anything really, but it's just weird to think if you could peer into another dimension and see what Darren's doing elsewhere, would he still be there? Maybe not.
0: Who knows? You've been buckling down with those long-term commitments lately.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. I've always been, um, I've always been like a man at home, which is probably why I don't really like, I don't really like jobs that are far away from yeah. home. I'm, I'm a, I think I'm a very homesick man, so that's why I kind of left Rare back in the day. It's kind of like I miss everyone at home. I'm leaving, <laughs> bye. And, and then I've always thought, do I, do I regret that? And I've mm. I settled down with the fact that I, you know I don't great at all but um yeah like pfft, I, I like working near i like working uh near my hometown so <laughs> that's what i've settled for yeah married in january and now i've got a little baby the yeah. like, way.
0: crazy huh so are you one of the dk64 apologists or is this one that kind of rubbed you the wrong way as well
1: i remember liking this game uh like to the 100 and is it 11 103 percent that you can get over the 100 yeah. percent in in dk64 and i remember doing that and thinking that was a good that, that was a good use of my money. Like, that was an expensive game. And um, I felt like, you know, all N64 games back then felt expensive. But, like, you know, I felt like I got my money's worth. But I've tried to play it recently and I've just, like, I've looked at the, you know, when you press start and you can see all the stats. I've seen the amount of stuff on screen and gone, oh, no, I can't do this again. Like, I really can't. <laughs> Uh, i remember I remember one of the levels being really really obtuse with its um level design. It asks you to replay the same corridors because all the bananas mm, they yeah. go see through if you're not playing the right character and it's really like I don't know if it's arrogance or just bad level design, but it's like it's really like annoying the fact that you have to do the same corridor four times to get the four different types of bananas you kind of wish that if they did a HD remake which they never would Mm -hmm. but you know if they were to do it again they would make some changes because there are issues much like I've you know Banjo-Tooie's got not collectible issues but more the way it tries to link all the world together issues like I feel like that's really overwhelming at times whereas DK64 does have collectible issues but they didn't seem as bad back in the day they didn't see it, just felt like it was part of the course. Whereas now, if you were to throw that many collectibles at someone, they'd just be like,
0: nah, I'm all right, mate. <laughs> You're all right. I think running through the same hallways could be an interesting challenge if the uh, navigational challenges were kind of unique to each monkey. Like, mm. you know, uh, mm. if, uh, what is it, Tiny Kong, the Dixie Kong stand in for this game, mm-hmm. uh, you know, had an easier time crossing one of the gaps than Diddy Kong would have. And, you know, he has to find his mm. own way around. And, uh, but, yeah, I think that's kind of the common consensus is like, well, if it is just running down a hallway and there's nothing really hmm. unique or that's you know necessary about being any individual monkey, then there's no reason to do that more than once. But uh, yeah, I, I played through the game maybe four years ago for the first time, like all the way through. And I, I enjoyed my my time. I didn't feel like it was necessarily overly taxing um but yeah i seem to be kind of a minority opinion as time has gone on
1: uh you know i, I feel like people this is generalization but i feel um, like the, the general pop, the general idea of that game is that it is worse than what it actually is
0: yeah oh is that part Is that part of your orchestra that's yeah i've got the garbage truck outside now <laughs>
1: <laughs> boy <laughs> wicked we've got it all going on um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like, I, I do feel like that game gets a bad rap, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, speaking of rap, it's got a quality <laughs> intro, which I thought you were going to say Eminem sung the DK rap at some point during his live shows. Now, that I'd like to see. <laughs> that would be um, something.
0: I wonder <laughs> if any rapper has like actually performed that on stage. That's, that is it. worth looking into.
1: <laughs> yeah, we must... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that's anyways. a question for a man. DK64, I don't think I'll ever play it again, but I remember enjoying the life out of it when I was um well, 1999 so was that 17 years ago when I was 15 mm. oh man
0: <laughs> <laughs> so this uh this next track that you're bringing us has a am I remembering this correctly a tenuous rare connection as well
1: oh yeah free radical design mm-hmm. they um they made time splitters too mm-hmm. and they're, they're pretty much stationed in Nottingham which is kind of down the road from to cross they're all kind of round you know around the same area and you know, uh, D- David Doak was in GoldenEye, the facility level, and he led the team, Free Radical Design. And um, I didn't quite enjoy Time Splitters 1 on the PS2 as a launch title. I didn't really understand what they were going for. It kind of felt like a, I don't know, like a, an aimless shooter, if, mm-hmm. you, if you want to call it that. It just seemed like everyone was just running around and it was chaos. Now, looking back, I'll probably love it now. I love, I, I like Serious Sam and games like that that seem aimless. But um, yeah, TimeSplitters 2 seemed to have a, uh, it seems to be, heading towards, you know, my, my favourite shooter of all time, Gold Knight. It seemed to be going towards that genre of sandbox, mission-based, of uh, you know mission objective-based uh, gameplay. And I was like, oh, they're, they're doing it. And, you know, Graham Norgate's doing the music and, you know, the team who used to do Gold Knight Perfect Dark are doing Times it's too. And, you know, I was reading all the magazines and getting all excited. And uh, I remember walking into town, going to my job, again, at the game shop, and popping into WH Smith and buying a demo disc purely for this demo. And I had it in the shop all day. Like, you know, it, it obviously it helped me sell copies of the game, mm-hmm. but that wasn't why I was doing it. It was just like, no, this is me. I'm playing this all day and I don't care if you want it or not. Um, <laughs> very selfish, I know, but that's just the way it goes. Um, and I just played the demo to death because the first level of times Spitters 2 and the demo that they gave away very cleverly was the Siberia level, which is, which is a, a, a dam. It's a giant dam which mm. has a helicopter fight at the top. And it was very reminiscent. You know, it was a, a parody, maybe, of the first level from GoldenEye. And, um, you know, it, it the music is just... If they were to do... We heard... I don't know if you've heard, but, we you know, the internet has heard the Grant Kirkhope uncompressed GoldenEye music mm. and it is just superb. But this is how I imagined the GoldenEye music to sound if they were to make it in the modern day. It's got all the nods and the touches. It's got that kind of weird bassy chanting sound in the background from the Egyptian levels. It's got the kind of... Uh, I described it as on the Cana Rince uh, Goldeneye episode, as someone crashing into a giant gong, ceramic gong. It's like a weird, it's a weird noise. I can't really <laughs> describe, but um, yeah, it's got all the the kind of like it kind of like pokes Goldeneye in the side and like, makes some noises, and then it's recorded them and then spat them out. And I love Time Splitters too. And even though the game kind of has a steady decline in it being Goldeneye, <laughs> you know, near the end, it's just it's kind of unrecognisable. But I remember playing that game to death uh, in every aspect. Like I did all the challenges, got all the golds, and all the things you did when you um, when, you know, you weren't distracted by a million other games at the time, which I probably was, but TimeSplitters 2 was just like, nope, this is me now and I'll, I'll see you around. Yeah, Um. so yeah, this track is Siberia by Graham Norgate and the game is time Splitters 2 by Free Radical Design published by IDOS, and it was on that generational consoles, the PS2, Xbox and GameCube. And uh, yeah, if you haven't played it and you like GoldenEye and Perfect Dark, uh, yeah you should really check it out and um if you've got home front <laughs> that latest home front game they've got some hidden levels in there in the arcade machines and they have got the siberia level so if you have got home front i mean sorry but <laughs> you can you can you can play this level in home front and i wish that they just put all the get all the levels in home front mm. and then i'll buy home front do you know what i mean what i'm trying to say is just remake time splitters 2 please
0: yeah yeah anyways here's a little bit of time splitters 2 music Moving on to track six of the day. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have any clever Eminem connections for this one. But you know, maybe if I maybe if I think about it a bit, I can squeeze something out.
1: I've got one. I reckon Eminem burnt stuff.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs>
1: yeah he's a he's a he's a little hot-headed man he's you might call him
0: an inferno yeah this is little inferno um this is the particular track from that is reporting from the weather balloon by kyle gabler weird little oddity of a game that was put out in 2012 uh you can play it Mm. on the android ios linux pc mac and wii u uh where you basically are just looking at a uh a fireplace for most of the game and throwing toys into it. And they, uh, they explode into money, which you can use to buy more toys, which you can burn. Um, it's much better than it sounds actually. Like it's a a quite interesting game that I would definitely recommend. Like there's, there's Mm. a lot there. It's a, uh, kind of a a satire of the, uh, clicker genre, which was beginning to emerge Uh at the time. The kind of cookie clickers and the like. Um, it's a, Satire of kind of consumerist culture and uh, DLC culture, definitely. Um, there's a lot going on in the game, and sometimes it's not always necessarily apparent, like what side of an issue they're taking. Um, but it's it's a very interesting game, and um, I featured a track from Little Inferno on the very first episode of Sound of Play, if I remember correctly. So almost fifty issues in, we're coming in with another of the uh, tracks from this wonderful soundtrack one of the characters is uh the weatherman who is telling us that while we're inside burning our toys to keep the fire going um, the outside world is due to you know climate change and stuff um it's kind of implied due to the fact that everyone's buying these fireplaces and putting all sorts of noxious fumes into the air Uh, the world is kind of going into a eternal winter state um, the world's kind of dying in a way, uh, which is just one of the many layers that this game works at. Uh, and this is the music that plays when he's coming on and telling us about the, uh, about the weather for the day and how dire it is. And there's a lot of really kind of mixed emotions in this track. Like for one, it's a very kind of hopeful track more than anything. Like it's kind of a hero's theme almost, but there's uh, some interesting kind of sound effect work. There's some interesting kind of distortion going on in it. And uh, yeah, it's just a very kind of busy track maybe, but um, kind of pulled through with a very strong, I guess lead motif. So it's uh, reporting from the weather balloon by Kyle Gabler. notice you kind of kind of chuckling along as i described little inferno is this one that you've played in the past
1: yeah man oh that that trailer they first released <laughs> where it's all like little inferno is for me and it's all these kids just singing along and it's like you can buy a toy fire and you're like well it's actually a real fire but like they sell it as a toy and it's like oh what what is going on Like, it looks like uh it looked like to me um the aesthetic that world of goo had and i don't, yeah. I don't know if it's right, two, it's the same folks uh, I linked yeah. anyway yeah yeah okay yeah sure and just the idea of burning stuff in a in a fire i was like this has to be something more than what they're letting on it yeah. has to be there has to be something here or else they wouldn't make it and release it on on the wii u which is where i played it i think mm-hmm. um and i just remember just sitting down with my you know my my now my then girlfriend now wife Gemma, so we were just going right what can we burn and she's like uh just put that and that together see what happens and, you know it was kind of a very kind of uh relaxed kind of game um You know, he he didn't really require much of you, you know, in terms of dexterity and, you know, agility, I guess. It was more like an intelligence thing. But we were just both just on the gamepad and on the TV screen as well, just trying to burn stuff and see what happened. And um, I carried on playing it after the day that we spent together. And it was like, yeah, I'm going to go back to that and see what happens. And... um, yeah, it takes some really weird twists and turns, yeah. and you know, it, it was definitely more than some of its parts. And I really, it, it's really stuck with me that because yeah. there was certain, there's a certain moment in that game where I was just like, Oh, god, this is, this is amazing! and um, yeah, it kind of rocked my world. Yeah, I, yeah, I really enjoyed that aesthetic, and I, but I didn't play their next game because I heard it was to do with programming, right. uh, even though it might not be intense programming, like I, you know, I'm actually doing stuff, it was more than enough for me to go, Nah, I'm all right, I prefer burning stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: is that all right? Yeah, the next game being the human resource machine, which uh has had mm. an article written about it within the last you know six months or so on the Canon Rinse website. Um we've never done any uh Canon Rinse issues specifically on uh this uh creative team's output, if I remember correctly. I'm not remembering any world of goo. No. Nah, um nah. but yeah. yeah, I'd imagine Little Inferno would make for a hell of an episode. Um so maybe someday we'll get to talk about that and there are there's certainly 2 hours worth of content to talk about in that game. So, I reckon uh, we
1: could do it maybe t- tomorrow <laughs> Co- corporation. No, oh, there yes. <laughs> so you can a joke, didn't I? Yeah.
0: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on to track 7. This is requested from our uh from Twitter from @jinxedthoughts who said I would love to hear Dance Little Robots from the Tiny Brain soundtrack on SOP, simply because it was one of the few things that could calm down my then-infant son when he was having a particularly bad night. I've had to listen to this so many times, but I really like it, and overall it's a fond memory for me despite the circumstances in which I listened to it. Yes, this is Dance Little Rodents by Samuel Laflamme, possibly. I, I can't even really begin to guess at the pronunciation of that last name, but... You know,
1: it's a, a beautiful looking series.
0: yes, it was <laughs> brilliant. I want it. Uh, this is from Tiny Brains, which is a PC, PS three, and PS four uh, game, which I believe was PS Plus at some point. So mm. mm-hmm. we probably have it. I've not gotten around to playing it, but um, <laughs> this particular song, "Dance Little Rodents," is an interesting. Um, I want to say it has some sort of like dubstep influences to it, but it it I think it holds together a little bit more consistently. I don't want to say that, you know, dubstep music doesn't hold together as like a marker of quality, but I think that it prides itself in being, um, rather unpredictable and disjointed and, um, you know, kind of clashing with itself. Uh, whereas this song is a little bit more traditional, but it still maintains a lot of the, uh, kind hmm. of electronic production and stuff. And it's actually a, a, super cool song. There's, there's a lot going on in there and, um, you know, I, I could, I could kind of talk around in circles describing it, or I could just let you listen to it. So this is Dance Little Rodents from Tiny Brains. uh darren you're bringing us something from another early wii u game that people didn't really understand what it was uh that is to kind mm. of play off of the uh, little inferno which you were talking about not long ago
1: <laughs> and Eminem's ms in it as well he's in is there somewhere yeah, well, is, I, yeah i think
0: uh he seems to be in in good company with wario there they seem like they'd get along <laughs>
1: that's a sitcom world watch definitely M&M and Wario. Oh, <laughs> M&M and oh.
0: Wario. That's, that's not a bad idea at all. Let's get on it.
1: Let's phone him up. Uh, yeah, this is a track called Islands by... Oh, man. A bunch <laughs> of people. <laughs> it's... Uh, oh. um, Masanobu Matsunaga. Takaru Kanazaki. Hiroki Marushita. Oh, that's a swear word. Show Murakami. Yoshito Sekigawa. Did it. And uh, they get the game. is Game and Wario from the uh, the Wii U. That wicked Nintendo machine that no one bought. Mm. And it's released in 2013. Now, Game of Wario is a weird one, right? Because it's got some mm. really, really good stuff in there. Mm. But the reason why no one bought it, or very few people bought it, is because it wasn't WarioWare. And they really missed the boat, or they really missed the trick by kind of making a mini-game collection, but without it being a WarioWare game. Mm. Like if they'd have put WarioWare, you know, such two whatever, I don't know, a WarioWare Gamepad edition or something like that. But with these games as a side, dish to the main course, mm-hmm. it would have gone down a treat. But because traditionally in WarioWare games, you have these kind of... Now these are more than just micro games. These are kind of like... They are mini games. But you kind of associate these games to be an add-on to the main you know, the, the main okay. game. And it's a shame that they didn't do that. Um, because there are some classics in here that really benefit from the uh, the gamepad. There's a game called... Uh, what well, this game is called um, Islands. And it reminds me of Monkey Target. Hmm so on your (laughs) gamepad you have these little frunks these little yellow guys i i love them to pieces they're just brilliant and um you know you you grab they're on the gamepad they're kind of in this little hammock and you 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 pull the hammock back obviously and you fling them onto this kind of like look dartboard looking thing that's floating in the sea kind of akin to super monkey balls monkey target Mm -hmm. in which you have to land monkeys onto a dartboard-esque type thing and you get points for landing them in various quadrants of or you know well, what's, a, what's more than a quadrant? A fifth? To, no, a, a, a particular part of the target you have to land on. You get a hundred points, and then you can multiply. You can also knock your friends or your know, mm. you, you, you mates' stuff off to make them lose points. It's all very competitive. Uh, but behind it all, all of this chaos of like these little seagulls coming over and nicking fronks off the off the off the target and smash them in the sea. All all this chaos is going on. But in the background there's this music. And it kind of just buries into your head and it becomes something that you're not really aware of. And it's just... It's so... It's just so weird and it kind of... It doesn't really fit what's going with the game at all. But because the whole game's weird and crazy anyway, it kind of works. Kind of like how Rhythm Heaven is in a way and WarioWare is in a way. It's so chaotic that anything kind of works. It's kind of like flicking loads of paintbrushes at a canvas and see what you know see what yeah. comes out. Like it's all it's all crazy, so it all works. Um but yeah this um to describe Ireland a bit better is it kind of looks really like visually realistic. It's got like kind of Spanish kind of villa, you know those kind of like the bright white Super Mario Sunshine-esque looking buildings in the background. And then you've just got this little spinning disc with all these little square Lego-esque looking monsters on it just like screaming at each other. And if you tilt it, if you get too many francs on one side of the island, it all tips up and they all scream and land in the water and everyone loses the points. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Uh, but yeah, this track is, is behind it all and it really adds to the, the madness.
0: track there Uh, i remember game and wario actually getting fairly negative reviews when it came out and you mentioned that there are some brilliant things on there but i think one of the reasons that people kind of passed it over was uh didn't it launch at full price
1: oh in the united states Uh uh, region it did over here it was a budget game okay i see Uh, it was it was cheaper than full price because i reckon i wouldn't have bought it at full price knowing how um uh, let's not say tight let's say you restricted i am with purchases uh, especially yeah. nowadays but yeah um but there's some really good stuff in there there's like a where's wally style game in which one person on the gamepad has to blend in a crowded scene and it <laughs> moves around and buses and smoke and stuff passes by and then the people sitting on the couch or whatever don't even have to do anything other than like keep an eye on what's happening on the tv and every 30 seconds the game takes a picture and like kind of snapshots, a brief area of where the, play, the other player is. Mm-hmm. And it takes about three minutes. And then you guess where the secret agent is. And, you know, it's, it, there's nothing really to it other than it's just a good time of just, like, shouting at the TV. Like, oh, I think he's over there behind the, you know, the seagull. <laughs> oh, he's over there. You no, know? like, you can duck in and out of um, these kind of, like, water pipes. but They're like sewers, but they're like water pipes. And um, you have to get three apples, obviously, within the time mm-hmm. limit. And... Every time you grab an apple um, on screen, you know one is obviously taken away from the screen, so you know roughly where the person is. And it's it reminds me also of the Assassin's Creed multiplayer in which you have to blend in with the, the you know the AI around you. You kind of have to you can't you can't be human esque in your in your movements. You kind of have to fit in to what the game is doing. So like the AI on screen is doing all sorts of crazy stuff, like in terms of like patterns. But if you're too fluid and kind of too like human in your um in your actions They'll, you'll, you'll get spotted straight away so you know very quickly people start realizing oh you know i've got to try and act like one of them and when the snapshot's about to happen i'll hide behind a building or something like that it's all yeah it's all good fun and uh it, it requires very little and it, it you know when i used to have my many game nights around here it was one of the kind of the stalwarts alongside nintendo land as a uh Oh, play that game where it's like, where's Wally, but with the weird man in his pants? <laughs> like, yeah, let's do that. That's pretty cool. Um, hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there's, there's some other good stuff on Game of Mario.
0: So the branding is a little weird because I think it it's probably playing off of the Game and Watch, which is um of course, before Nintendo started developing um mm. software for their own proprietary hardware, they were developing these little kind of standalone, um, little kind of handheld games that uh that you could, you know, purchase and play individually. Um, They have Mm. later re-released those games as a part of the Game & Watch collections on the uh, Game Boy Advance. And um, so those games are not lost to time necessarily. You can still play those. And uh, probably more famously, the Game & Watch uh, character and stage, or the uh, handheld device was kind of Immortalized in the Super Smash Bros. series. And so um that's probably where most people are familiar with it from but uh, oh, yeah,
1: dude. game game and watch man he's got the best amiibo mm. it's just brilliant have you seen yeah i've know yeah, got it? one of those there oh it's so good like when i got it and i opened it i was like oh no i think it's broken <laughs> and it's just a, it's just various little clicking and out game and mm-hmm. watch things that you can change it's like ah oh, the spirit of game and watch like just encapsulated in a in a in a toy essentially like yeah um I like those amiibos, but Game and Watch as as a Smash Brothers character as well. He's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah,
0: yeah. Anyways, this uh, we have one track left to go, but for before we do that, please do remember to venture over to our forum at cannerints slash forum, where you can request some new songs that we will try to uh, try to play in future episodes. We always play a selection of not only our favorites but also some of yours, and so you know we've got. Um, usually three of those on every show and every once in a while we'll do a requests only show. So we have a long list of requests already, but, uh, do feel free to add requests onto the pile because we draw from, uh, it's not necessarily first come first serve. We just kind of pick from, uh, wherever on the list. So, you know, you could, uh, you could hear it in the very next episode, potentially, who knows? Um, anyways, the sound of play is a now weekly show uh, you can also request songs on our Twitter if you want to tweet at us at Canon or on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Canon Rinse. Uh, please do subscribe to both this show and to the main Canon and Rince podcast where we talk about video games more in depth, uh, kind of individually, um, very kind of slow and, and thorough discussion of each each game that we go through. Anyways, I'd like to thank Darren from the Cane and Rince team for joining me again today on, and R- or on uh, Sound of Play. Bonjour. <laughs> as well as our community contributors. Please keep to uh, keep the requests coming. The final track of the day, we have another request from the forum, from Jakob42, who is requesting something from uh, 2016. Although still very recent, I think the writing's on the wall that the new Doom will be something of a landmark game. A lot of the game's charm and clear difference from the other shooters released in the past few years comes from its sense of momentum and primacy. It strips down all the fluff of other shooters. Reloading cover virtually everything else that doesn't include fast-paced murder, replacing it with a thirst for blood that's almost impossible to resist. Adding to this sense of primacy is the music. Mick Gordon really seems to be tapping into the same kind of animal brain one experiences in the Rooms of Doom with a metal soundtrack that's incredibly technical and impressive while simultaneously as raw and foreboding as the ancient evil within this version of Hell. In videos, Gordon talks about reducing sound to its bassist components and running it through various devices to corrode it. Listening to the soundtrack, this seems to have the result of releasing whatever demons lived in those old synths. The track I've picked is called BFG Division. I think it best encapsulates all the nonsense that I just wrote. And boy oh boy, when that screaming screaming solo comes in, I get chills. I rarely ever listen to metal, but this is something special. Yes, indeed, this is BFG Division by Mick Gordon from Very Doom in 2016, which you can play on the PC, Xbox One, and the PS4, and yeah, what a what a wonderful track. You know, this is not only a kind of modernization of the Doom formula, like it, it doesn't play like the thrash metal that you would hear in the original Doom, like this is, uh, it incorporates a lot of kind of electronica elements as well, and has... Uh, kind of a metal by way of dubstep type of feel to it. And so it's not necessarily just like an updated re, uh, I don't don't want to say reorchestrated, but re-guitared version of the same music that was played before. Uh, It's a wonderfully dynamic track and something that really kind of stands on its own as far as its uh, its musical compatriots. Uh, Darren, have you gotten to spend any time with the new Doom yet? (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah. oh yes, yes, I have. I lo- now it's it is not within the K and rinse Remit of talking about games that aren't like you know seven years old or whatever. But the very Doom is. I played it once on the hard setting. I loved it, and at times I wanted to smash you know my my fist for a wall because it is ridiculously hard. But it's hard in all the right ways that a hard game should be. Like every time I died in. The hard mode of Very Doom. I was like, that's my fault because the game's so fast and flexible, and you know, as he described, you know, you don't, you don't get bogged down in the, the modern things that shooters do of you know reloading. Like it doesn't do all that. Like so, if you die, there's nothing. You can't really blame anything really because it plays really well. It handles really well, and you know, it's it's just flawless (laughs) in terms of uh, an engine and and, and its performance. It's just superb. So when you die, you know it's your fault. so, you, you know, getting to the end of that game once on hard. And I was like, I love that game so much. I'm going to do New Game Plus on easy and rip everything to pieces and love it. And it was still just as enjoyable, but in a completely different way. It was uh, very more cathartic rather than a challenge, obviously. And uh, so, yeah, I played for it twice within the space of like four days. And I did trade it in because, you know, I'm very tight with money lately. So I thought, if I just trade it in quick, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get some money back. And luckily, I only end up spending. It cost me about £5 in total just to play it through twice and trade it in. I was like, wicked, I'm happy with that. That's one of my favourite games of, you know, of recent memory. And it's a very good version of, like, when Serious Sam came out. It was trying to be modern Doom, in a way. It's just like mm. run and gun, just blast everything, no reloading, just jump like crazy. Now, Doom, well, very, very Doom, has come out. It's kind of taken that formula and made it even better. So for, for me, I've always enjoyed these kind of simplistic arcade games of you know just run and gun, but very Doom is probably the, the pinnacle of that. And uh, puzzle combat is a phrase I would use in terms of you have to pick, you have to you have to enter a room and you have to quickly analyse what's going on and it'll go right. There's a you know there's a in the corner. They're deadly when they're up close, so let's probably ping him off first. And then you kind of have to process of elimination, work out which are the biggest threats in which scenario, so and then you have to get the right gun out and do the right thing and it's all moving at about what feels like 100 miles an hour, like the original Doom but you're in such control of your character, that like I say, when you die you're like, well that was my fault because I didn't do the glory kill to get my health back to then do another thing to get the thing and get my chainsaw out and get my ammo back it's, it's an incredible game and I don't think we'll have differing opinions when we ever get round to talking about it on cane and rinse it is yeah it's it's the ripple effect that's had with that game is entirely justified and uh, even though the multiplayer is a bit weak it is uh, yeah the single player blew me away i don't say that about many games lately which is probably my old jaded ways
0: <laughs> anyway so this is a roaring metal track from uh, from very doom 2016 this is bfg division by mick gordon see you next week